Who knows what mysteries wait in the darkness? Who knows what power lies beneath the mind? <laughs> Someone's coming. Who knows what terrors prowl in the underworld? The shadow knows. An ancient evil returns. Oh my god. And the only hope is... Lamont Cranston. There is one face he shows the world, and the other he hides in shadow. I do what I do to fight back the evil inside me, but some part of it is still there. A mysterious woman shares his powers. I've always had this feeling that there was this man out there just waiting for me. And a secret army is at his command. Report. Police investigation of murder. Agent advises inquiry. Extra, extra! Madman threats to blow the city sky high! You are a barbarian. With Bovar, inside you beats a heart of darkness. I guess you call it an implosive, explosive sub-molecular device. Or an atomic bomb. Hey. Let's catch it. <laughs> Join me. I know who you really are. Alec Baldwin. <gasps> you want to see into my eyes? I'm not afraid of you. John Lone. Find him and kill him. Penelope Ann Miller. And Tim Curry. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The Shadow Knows. <laughs> David, the sun is shining. The ice is slippery. All right, with that, now we can proceed with the show. Welcome to a brand new episode of Reconsidimation. I'm John Diner. I'm David Munchak. I'm Brent Hutchins. And this is the podcast that takes a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And we've got a whopper of an episode today. We are going to dial way, way back to the 90s, one of the greatest decades in history, yeah. <laughs> to July 1994. We are looking at... The Shadow. Ooh. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? <laughs> the Shadow knows. The Shadow knows. The Shadow knows. Shadow sh knows, which we'll get into. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> There's a lot to talk about, that face. <laughs> Uh, and guys, it was season five of Reconcinimation rapidly coming to an end. Uh, mm -hmm. We have one more episode after this one. So can you believe it? it's been? Uh, yeah, it's been That's almost unreal. a five-year journey. I won't. Congratulations, like guys! It's like Star Trek—a five-year journey. Yes, the contracted five-year journey those space adventurers went on. It's basically what we're doing here. <laughs> it's the same thing. It is. It's an exploration. <laughs> Well, we're looking forward to a a fun uh, episode to conclude season five. But before we get there, let's talk about the shadow. How how did we arrive on the shadow for this uh, for this episode? 
This is your idea. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty <laughs> sure you were like, again. hey guys, hey guys, I love the shadow. We <laughs> definitely gotta talk about the shadow. It was one of my faves. <laughs> and then David and I kind of looked at each other and we're like, Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I guess you're the boss. Let's do it. I think that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Pretty sure. We you were sitting on that gold throne that's ten feet higher than the rest of our chairs. Yes. And you were yeah. like decreeing essentially. Um, yeah. Yeah, with my scepter. And we didn't really have a choice. Yeah, you threatened us with your goblin knife or whatever the hell that thing is (laughs) that you stole from the set of the shadow. Oh, yeah, that's with me at all times. I know. Well, we know. (laughs) It's always with you. Oh, my God. Yeah, that knife. There's there's a lot to talk about with that, too. But yeah, yeah, the um, goblin goblin dagger, whatever. Well, bring us back to July 1st, 1994. Brent, set the table. What's what's happening in and around the world in movies? What What's going on? Oh, guys, 1994. It was the summer of O.J. Simpson. I'll tell you that much. Everything that summer was was centered around him and his running from the police and his white Bronco and him getting brought up on charges and with his involvement with the murder of Nicole Brown. So that was that was the biggest, I think news of of all the summers is that just kind of playing out in the background basically uh the trial th- right throughout uh, the, the trial. trial hadn't really started this no. was like so mm. in in june is when like um the chase the happened. chase like, happened yeah. like ah, yeah. it was then, the, there's there's that documentary that uh espn 30 for 30 documentary mm-hmm. that's all about that day in june like yeah. everything all these things in the sports world that was happening what did jose canseco think what did andre agassi <laughs> think we had to know <laughs> what, were they going, what was going through their heads yeah, something along those lines. What was Pete so, Rose no, there was, saying? But there was there was big stuff going on in like the Rangers and hockey and basketball and oh, yeah. golf. The, like there was big events happening all that same day and all topped or overshadowed by OJ. Yeah, I mean, I don't recall exactly what was happening sports. I didn't see that thirty for thirty, but it's amazing. I, Highly yeah, recommend. most of them are pretty darn good, but um. I I don't know what was happening specifically on that day sports wise, but I do know that that summer, like the Rangers won the the Stanley Cup and the Rockets won the the uh, their first of two back to back championship titles. Uh, so, you know that was happening, and then um, uh, let's see, Tanya Harding also was happening around that same time. She got banned from, from professional ice skating for her involvement in the attack on Nancy Kerrigan. So that was all happening that summer. And um, Henry Mancini died, uh, the, the, the composer. So that's pretty, pretty big deal in our, in our world, the reconsidimation world. And then uh, let's see what else Lion King released in the theaters that summer. And uh, you know, huge box office success i think it grossed something like 185 million its opening weekend which was uh well above and beyond uh any other animated uh features opening weekend box office at the time uh forrest gump came out that summer so uh that ended up winning the academy award but yeah most of most of what was happening over the summer and most of the big news was all revolving around oj and and um, what was going to happen with him and how involved was he in the murder? Was he involved in the murder? 
Uh, the trial happened, started yeah. a little bit, a little well, bit was. later than that, but he was, he did. Well, that we, we would find out, we would find out <laughs> oh, over, right, the course, right, yeah. over the course of the next uh, year, but yeah, definitely. It uh, seems like he, I mean, the glove didn't fit, so yeah, he maybe must not. Quit. Well, you gotta, yeah. so yeah, that was, that was big deal though. It was, it was the documentary was June 17th, 1994. That's the name of the documentary, and it's the date that all this stuff happened. <clears throat> it was so Ar- Arnold Palmer played his last round at the uh, U.S. Open before he retired. The 1994 FIFA World Cup began. The New York Rangers uh, had their ticker tape parade. The Houston Rockets and the New York Knicks uh, played game five of the NBA Finals. And Ken Griffey Jr. tied Babe Ruth's uh, home run record. Is that right? Oh. Ricky Henderson also stole his 1100th base, but I don't know if it was on that. It wasn't day. that it was, day. It was but that it was, summer. Yeah, it was right around there. So yeah. So um, all that exciting time for sports. The same day as OJ, uh, you know, and what was it Al Cowlings uh, drove the white Bronco around with uh, OJ in it. That's right. Uh, one of John's favorite songs, also of all time, I swear by All for One, uh, was number one on the billboards. You so, got it. You got uh, it. As we've all affectionately recounted in this podcast, that I used to love to sing the Rent soundtrack, uh, driving to and from Santa Fe and Albuquerque uh, with all my friends in the car. John would likewise be singing, uh, I swear. <laughs> oh, that's me. It was beautiful. Wow. <laughs> it was beautiful. That's yeah. what you do. I still get butterflies anytime I think about it. I Don't quietly you? retired that song, but I guess it's going to have to come back. Yeah, come well, back. it's about, it needs, it, it needs to. <laughs> It is time. Something good comes along. I don't see why you don't focus all your attention on for like six months. You know, a great song, a great movie, a great video game, a new six uh, months. New friend. It's just like 25 years. I don't need anything else. Just give me Either this way. thing for six months. And so, yeah. <laughs> and then just, never again. And, and then, then just <laughs> yeah, retire then, for life. Yeah. It quietly sinks to the background and, you know, you revisit it or you realize you made a big mistake. <laughs> yep. Sliced bread. I loved it for six months. Then. Psh. Yeah, never again. Here. Just whole yeah. one whole loaf at a time. Yeah, yeah. Just big. Uh, all right. Uh, the shadow, David. What's happening in this movie? Can you possibly explain it? It's hard to explain, but I'll I'll try to I'll try to give you a, an idea and see if you can keep up. But uh, the shadow follows a New York socialite, uh, Mr. Lamont Cranston, who uses his psychic powers as the shadow to uh hunt criminals and you know save innocent lives throughout new york city down back in the i guess 30 late 30s early 40s pre-world war ii era but he comes up against a couple of forces of nature and specifically the last descendant of genghis khan who possesses similar abilities and a um a daring blonde socialite in her own right who uh, has similar abilities and uh it's really a confluence of strange events that leads them all to collide in a secret hotel in the middle of new york city (laughs) no one can see um but you know he is a bat and then just he's you know he's a what today we would say he's like sort of a batman analog uh kind of a a scary uh a scary, mysterious, almost mythical being 
who strikes fear into the hearts of men. Oh, is that the right hero? Uh, yep. <laughs> yep. You got it. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, so it's a, it's a, it's a rollicking good time. <laughs> oh my God. That it is. Uh, Brent, when was the first time you saw the shadow? Did you catch it in the theaters? You'd see it uh, at, on home video or do you watch it just now for the first time? I, I definitely saw it when I was younger. I don't recall if I saw it in the theaters or at home first. To be honest, I think when this came out, I was not super excited about it. I, you know, just prior to this coming out, um, The Crow came out and I was a huge, huge fan of The Crow. And, and I liked the grittiness, loved the soundtrack. Like there was just an edge to that movie that, that seemed to fit more into like where I was at that time, being a little, you know, kid in Houston who loved the Seattle grunge sound and all the alternative music and all that. And so when I saw the trailers for this, it seemed kind of young in comparison, you know? And so I just wasn't super jazzed about it. When I finally did see it also like the comparisons that I felt, and I didn't know much about the shadow as a comic book before really, honestly, before doing research for this podcast right now. Um, but the, I had no idea about the history of the shadow prior to, to seeing it when I was younger. And all I really thought about it when I did see it is that again, this is like a less gritty version of like what dark man was, which I was a huge fan of dark man. And, um, you know, so like I just was not overly like impressed with this uh, as as younger self, as older self. Um, more times passed, and I think that it there are things about it that are really rough, but there are things about it that I actually really like. Not so much the storytelling or anything like that, but I really like the look. I like the costumes. I like things like that. You know, like I, I found myself pretty. Uh, drawn in by by that some of the set pieces are pretty rad but again overall not not like a have not been wowed by by this this movie got it all right uh david what about you were you a a shadow fan when it uh first came out i i did i remember seeing it in the theater um you know based on a comic book property a pulp based pulp stories really and and radio plays and all of that uh i was kind of i was intrigued by it but i i you know i haven't seen it since i left that theater <laughs> uh 30 you and many ago. others <laughs> um but uh you know i don't even know if i was even paying attention of like i knew who alec Baldwin was i guess but i don't even think i you know like i remembered him from beetlejuice and stuff but like it's kind of hard because like Alec Baldwin looks like, like grotesquely different every two years. If you really look at every, <laughs> like, you're not wrong. Like every photo of you him. look at Beetlejuice, every... Alec Baldwin yeah. and, uh, and you know, 30 rock Alec Baldwin. They are different people. They're I mean, different. I get him confused with some of his brothers all the time because like, I feel like yeah. he's looked like each one of them at some point in his, in his career. Yeah. And I'm always, Oh, is that, Alec, is that Steven? Which one is that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, so I saw it then. I I 
I, I, you know, I kind of appreciate it for what it was. It, uh, like, it's just, it's kind of like a Batman Returns esque, like, but it's just like, it's always second tier. It's never, like, it does, it never went far enough to really capture my interest, like, to continue with it. Like, it, it didn't, it didn't have, like, sort of the intrigue. It, it, the humor only went just so far that, it, you know, I realized watching this, like, boy they if they really leaned into the campiness like they maybe would have had a different product here and might have been an interesting like movie but it um it, it it's uneven in that way so yeah i can see where i was just like yeah yeah cool the shadow uh it was you know it was my grandparents hero right like if he's from, he's from 1930 right. right like like it's not and they and you know to the credit sticking to the style aesthetics the time period all of that um you know I, I appreciate that instead of trying to like update and change everything like keep it in the but it doesn't really work for a modern audience i think because in 1990 in the 90s it was a very different place new york was a different place america is different the world's different so it's like it's a little weird seeing what like i don't know what what it all was as a complete product um I I feel like I feel like if it I feel like this could be really cool. Mm -hmm. Like if done if the right people were involved and it was done well, it could be really pretty awesome. But I, the execution, this version and the execution of this version is like is a I feel like a pretty big miss. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of misses here. Yeah, yeah totally. It, it it is a a bit of a what if you know, what if they right. had done this? What if they had done that? You know, what if they hadn't done a lot of the things they did, you know, they chose to do in this one? I have to tell you, though, I loved this movie when it came out. I absolutely mm -hmm. loved it. And mm -hmm. I don't know exactly why. I mean, this was summer of 94. So this is about two years before I really like, I think, started my taste in films started growing and maturing. So I was definitely into the you know, the popcorn movies, the blockbustery movies, which this was was one of those, not successfully, but it was attempting to be. And I actually saw it out out here in L.A. Uh, with my uncle and uh, I like watched it. I made him take me to it and I loved it and I could see that he did not love it. And I was like, <laughs> let's go immediately back in to the next show and watch it again. We didn't, but I wanted to. Wow. You, you wanted to watch it immediately. Yeah, I, immediately. I was like. I was like at, almost as into it as I was Batman when it came out. Wow. Um, and I kind of uh, get it. Sort of, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's obviously there's a lot to talk about with comparing it specifically to Batman. Um, sure. Yeah. But the thing is, yeah, I think the problem was that this was trying to do the Batman formula and the Batman style so closely to the 89 Batman. And which was only five years previously, but so much had changed. Mm -hmm. And Brent, I think you brought up a really, really good point about the crow and the crow coming coming out, which I don't remember how well it did box office wise, but definitely home video and like cult status yeah. and word of mouth. It was huge. I mean, I saw that I saw the crow like three times in the theater. Like yeah. I I loved the crow. It was a huge I mean, I liked just also the, the, like kind of the gothic nature of the making of it and you know like brandon lee yeah. getting shot and all that like yeah. all of it kind of drew me in 
Mm. Well, with the whole, like with the grunge movement happening, you know, in between Batman and this and the crow, you know, it, it was getting, I think it was the superhero thing was starting. People wanted to go deeper and even mm. Batman, the animated series took it further than, you know, the Batman movies did. So, you know, there was, I think people, as far as superheroes goes, were looking for something more, something a little edgier. And this was like going right back to that Superman, Batman, you know, very kind of simple on the level storytelling um, that was not as complex as. Yeah, it felt like a step backwards. Yeah, really, it did. So, Yeah. yeah, you can kind of see why it didn't take off at the time i was really confused i was like this movie is great why don't people like it (laughs) well it also starts really weird like i having i watched it twice getting ready for this for the for the podcast the first time like i kind of just sort of powered through it but the second time i don't know why but the second time i watched it i found myself a lot more interested but it takes a minute and so like the beginning is Nonsense. weird. It doesn't yeah. make any kind of sense. It's yeah. like super confusing and like, like awkward, they, like just doesn't like the acting doesn't like none of it. And there's powerful actors that's strewn about the beginning, you know, but like, it's like, it doesn't connect in any way. And it, it doesn't really feel coherent. And then the fact that you have to give like, there's the the opening and then the explanation of of the training and then it gets to new york it's like this is all sorts of messed up but then as i like once he got into new york and once like he started the story started to unfold a little bit again bad acting the makeup is terrible like all sorts of stuff is happening but i did find myself getting more and more into it and i do feel like the final battle is kind of kind of fun like it's the kind of fun yeah and like yeah. shit like that going on i'm like this isn't like a total total waste but like it's more there's just a lot of pieces that they should have really focused more attention on yeah and it's it's had such a horrible reputation over time and i think that's why i wanted to talk about it on the shows because I I loved it for so long and I never saw really because I never watched it again after those three mm-hmm. times in the theater um, progressively each time having much less and less of an audience in those in in the crowd but uh, you know I never really looked at like why do, why what is it that's not working in this movie you know it was like I always liked it everyone else didn't but now watching it again I can totally totally see it but Let's before we before we continue down that road. Let's just catch everybody up who maybe isn't familiar with with uh, the shadow. So it was a radio program created in 1930 by Walter B. Gibson, and it was at the time. I mean, there was no television, so yeah. I mean, this guy, the shadow, was around before Superman, before Batman. Like, I mean, a lot of Batman is based on on this character. Right. So like he kind of came from, from this. Yeah. Yeah. Totally similar in style and storytelling uh, as the Batman stories. He's a crime fighter. He's a detective. Um, He is, you know, he's got multiple personas that, you know, the Lamont Cranston and, and we're not going to go too far down that road either because there are 
several characters that he plays and then years later it's like then it's revealed that he's actually not lamont cranston he's some other guy and mm -hmm. <laughs> there's a whole lengthy uh backstory there but um yeah who puts on a persona to become the shadow who uses these i guess you would say psychic powers to manipulate people's minds and um you know to solve these crimes and uh visually very kind of very similar looking to to batman and the way they the way they pose the way they you know the wardrobe as we started seeing it eventually became a a, a magazine uh and i believe the 19 uh the late 1940s so you know there was a visual element to it as well but by the 50s the shadow they'd pretty much stopped making the shadow stories and batman and superman had taken over and marvel and dc comics were on the rise and and kind of took over and there's been limited shadow stories since and it's kind of a forgotten character of other than this movie there's really like my dad referenced the shadow all the time it was always you know saying you know who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men the shadow knows he would say that like constantly it was very annoying but um i feel like more recently there's been a few runs i think dynamite took over the the publishing of of the shadow and there's been more recently like there's a there's a the shadow year one which is kind of an origin type story uh, yeah, but there's no buzz even... about the shadow. It's like no. Oh no, no, yeah, no. There's no popularity yeah, yeah. to it at all. No, considering like the roots of where the character stems from, like he, there's certainly not. He does not have nearly the um, fanfare as as like a Superman or or Batman or anybody like that. I mean, he's he, you're right. He's he's pretty forgotten. I think by the majority of people. Well, this is like the stuff you'd see back in the with the radio plays and the pulp comics and stuff. It's like you have it's like <laughs> it's like uh, 2000s TV where you had the mentalist and the the, the blind cop <laughs> and the and the, the the bakery nurse. And like everyone's like has a specialty and does does good things. And they're like it's very specialized kind of thing. So you'd have uh You'd have Shadow. You'd have uh, what's the what's the Billy Zane classic? Where we're oh, not the, Phantom. Phantom. the Phantom. The Phantom. I would get I would get the Phantom in this mixed up all the time. Yeah, I thought they were basically the same. I think you have the, all the time. You have you have the same problem in both movies. They're they're, yeah. they're very parallel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and you got it again. It's like, and what's funny is, is like Tim Burton said, "I'm going to go back to Batman's origins. I'm also going to take." um the i'm going to take the campiness of the adam west show i'm going to combine them and make them a little weird and this is my batman 1989 well yeah and, and then jack frank miller's you know uh batman return was it not batman returns it's the dark knight uh, return the dark knight returns, returns. yeah yeah like there, there's definitely a lot of that added to it but it's like so like burton like knew how to make a cohesive like visual and a story and narrative that that worked and then there was sort of like you can just sort of tell like there's a scramble like wait where else can we get properties let's make a movie on cheap but like we can maybe you know we do it well enough we'll make a, a sequel like you know back then it wasn't like you didn't talk franchise like you didn't talk three picture deal right, like right you made something that would make money 
that would help your studio for the next year. And, and then if you, but if it did really well, um, but that's, that's sort of that, uh, that same thing. So you'd had like this, the specter and like captain captain marvel i think was like a original pulp hero and like people that had like very the rock specific... the rocketeer is another one right rocketeer that, yeah. yeah but i feel like as a film was more successful than than the shadow and and the phantom were i thought the rocketeer was not success maybe it just wasn't as successful as maybe i just remember it. wanted it but yeah that's probably true they didn't make a sequel or anything right? i put money that rocketeer at least made more way like comparatively more money than the shadow but i i, I would i wouldn't know off the top of my head i remember um, enjoying it a lot more but i don't know i don't know it seems it seems oh. less batman and more superman a little more comp- it's comparative which came out it came out in 1891 and made yeah. only about 46 mil so yeah rocketeer same, only had its same ballpark yeah ballpark yeah, yeah. so you know like you got to give them credit for like uh trying to resurrect old uh, intellectual property. Oh yeah, and, it was and try something. What well, I don't uh, think art, you know Art Deco style like throwback. Yeah, it was. It was like popular. they didn't know how to, to, like what story to tell for the more modern characters, the Spider Mans, the X Men characters. They, you know, still obviously with so many of the DC characters, they've struggled to successfully tell that tell their stories. Um, but uh yeah so they're like going back to the well over and over and over and each time rocketeer the shadow the phantom none of them are working and then you've got the crow well, and, which is a completely and, modern and huge hit yeah dick tracy's another one you know like they're all like the, they're all like right in a row and none of them really but dick tracy so the connect. difference with dick tracy was that was right on the heels of batman so yeah. I think people weren't well Madonna was for, in it like there was yeah, like some yeah. really yeah, yeah, big names and, at the time but like I don't Pacino think people were, and like, you know James Khan for a second yeah, the yeah. Old Godfather yeah. reunion but and I like, think that that was still not I mean I think it probably did better than most of them because it was riding off the success of Batman but like I think that the overwhelm like the overall feeling of people who had seen it was that it wasn't very I think Tracy? Dick Tracy now is like unwatchable. Right. It's really hard to sit through that. Uh yeah. well and like, you know, all these things come from a more or less a because Dick Tracy, I think, well, he's a comic character, but I'm sure had a radio show too. Like Yeah, yeah. These, again, yeah. All these all these like old things re- required your uh, the listener to have an imagination. Like the like to hear a narrative of the shadow doing shit and messing with men's minds, like, and using your own imagination to follow along like that, that works a lot better, but then changing it to a more visual medium, it's a little like, and that that's where experimentation came from. They didn't know how to tell these stories with the action to like, it probably worked in, in the still frame of a comic or a strip, but then going to a film it's like oh we have like film is basically is real people doing shit like so how do you take this stylized thing and then transform it into like modern day without it looking and sounding silly and they didn't you, you almost don't know it if it's silly until you see it like it's like oh this is kind of weird like this doesn't really and it doesn't resonate with a modern audience in the 90s who are you know they're enjoying they just enjoyed terminator 2 a couple of years ago like 
<laughs> you know, yeah, things have changed. Yeah, and Jurassic Park, you know, and Jurassic yeah, Park. Like, yeah, like things, right. are, things are messed up now. <laughs> well, and, and it and it and it, you know, I mean, it it feels like it's just kind of a cheap grab to try and steal yeah. some of that success from Batman, right? Like, I mean, it, yeah. they're just trying to recapture that. And I think if it was less influenced by that and like had a chance to be its own thing, like some some air to breathe and not just be like some attempt to to recapture something that it's not, then then it may have turned out a lot better. I mean, it couldn't have turned out much worse. And like uh, trying to sort of mimic an ape what it came from like mm-hmm. and, and and not translating it like but also like you know i think everyone would say like oh they took this property they, they hollywood changed everything and it's weird so it's like what do you strike the balance right instead of yeah like so you know that no one's ever going to be happy but like again you'd have to grow up in the 30s to really appreciate uh, a shadow movie and it's 60 years later so uh it's just not it's not as catchy as as what modern audiences wanted to see I, I think part of it is the overall tone of the movie because Batman so successfully had that serious tone with like a couple of lighthearted moments, but overall the tone of the movie was dark, kind of depressing, serious and heavy. This never felt this always felt light and it didn't, I don't think it works when you play it light. And like there's, there's scenes where they're, I don't know where the the energy is just so like high between Alec Baldwin and Penelope Ann Miller. And then there's, there's, you know, towards the end of the movie where the shadow and, or Lamont Cranston and Shiwan Khan have that like banter back and forth. And it's like a joke, you know, it's like, they're, they're not playing it serious almost at all. I traveled to this country in Genghis Khan's holy crib to absorb his power in three days. The entire world would hear my roar and willingly fall subject to the lost empire of Shanking. That is a lovely tie, by the way. May I ask where you acquire it? Brooks Brothers. Is that Midtown? 45th and Madison. You are a barbarian. Well, John Lone kind of is, but Baldwin certainly isn't. So well, but he's a better comedian than he is a lead, but like, you well, know, not now, not, not at, at the time. time. I mean, at, at the time, well, like Baldwin can't, he's, he's a slightly whimsical, I would say at best. Now are you talking now? Ne- no, then, then. Yeah. 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 Today he, he, he figured out how to be funny. Like, right. well, there's I, a whole, the, all right, let's talk about Alec Baldwin because that's, that's obviously the big, huge piece here is, uh, you know, we're right in the middle of the experiment of Alec Baldwin, not just as a leading man, but as a major action star. You know, they were trying to get him on the level of, you know, Bruce Willis and and Stallone and, um, you know, uh, I wouldn't say Schwarzenegger, but, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> like that and Harrison Ford. You know, I think I think Harrison Ford is like a good comp or what they wanted. Yeah, him to I be think Harrison comp. I think I think yeah, Alec Baldwin has a a gravitas that he brings to things that you, you yeah almost you would do instinctively think he could be an action star guy. I could yeah. follow him through a a dangerous story, but did it work? <laughs> yeah, in well, Hollywood at the time. So sorry, Alec is coming. I'm, 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 I'm Alec calling right you. Oh yeah, let me listening. just tell. 
dude, I'll call you back. Uh, we're just, yeah, we're just hanging out recording the podcast. Yeah, it's going great. All right. Well, yeah, don't worry. Okay, cool. I mean, Ooh, I don't know. Like he checks in with me once in a while. He's <laughs> pretty hilarious. He's pretty funny in Beetlejuice. Like, yep, but that's right in the beginning. Married to the mob, working girl, talk radio. All those are kind of comedies, right? He works. Yeah. Yep. Is he quipping though? Is he quippy and silly? You know, like he, he gets he gets his moments in all those movies, yeah. I think. But he's he's funnier as the straight man to the to play sort of absurd, like Right, right, but there's but there but that within itself is like requires some comedic chops and timing sure. and you know oh, I mean it's right yeah he's not incapable I yeah just, no I don't remember him in Great Balls of Fire but then no, that's you just know, a small the, it's a small the next part big thing is Hunt for Red October and that's yeah. like when it's like okay we're gonna try and make this guy like the leading man exactly right? that's yeah, the exactly. move the Hunt for Red October is the move where he he they you know Hollywood is pushing him up to that star status yeah. yeah. And um, they try it for the next five well, years. Yeah, look, I mean, and Miami, it fails. Blues, Miami Blues, great movie, um, but that's more of a, you know, I don't want to say I've an never art house it. movie, but more of an indie style movie, um, not the high profile of Hunt for Red October at all. Uh, yeah. But I mean, then Prelude he the... to a Kiss, I remember being a big deal, but it wasn't, like, you know, like, I don't think it was, it's not Hunt for Red October. Like, no. Hunt for Red October was like, a huge, huge, deal. huge yeah. movie, but marrying Ma the marrying man in 91, not a hit prelude to a nope. kiss in 92, not a hit malice. 93, not a hit getaway in 94, not a hit. And that all leads to the shadow. Yeah. Yeah. But were they, but they weren't bombs, right? Like, so he's not, they're not breakout huge movies. Right. But they're, they're movies. People saw, I feel people like, saw, right? but some of them didn't even, I don't think even made money. I mean, the but getaway yeah, was like a huge disaster. They're not successful enough for you to believe that this guy's a draw. Like he's a lead man draw, right? Like he's not bringing people into the box office the way they would want. Well, yeah. I mean, get, the getaway was probably would probably be the big experiment, right? Where that's a little that's pretty action-y. Yes. Like, yeah. Right? But yeah. like I don't know. Yeah, I think the the rest are more narrative uh drama action like versus like heroic gun battle action. Well, right? and look, like, he could he's he walked away from the Jack Ryan series. I mean, that mm -hmm. was his. He started it with Hunt for Red October and, and yeah. was supposed to continue playing that role and and gave uh, it to harrison ford <laughs> walked out of patriot games which was you know another huge hit for like Har look at harrison ford's track record oh, yeah. it's hit after hit after i mean major hits like the indiana jones movies but then you've got peppered in there working girl you've got uh you know patriot games you've got I finally, I finally watched Air Force One last night with my pops. <laughs> That's nice, nice. Yeah. Right? David's how favorite much, movie. How much fun did you have in the summer of 97? It, it was fun. That right? Was fun. Fucking great. Yeah. <laughs> Harrison Ford. Yeah, I mean, there's some there's some pretty hilarious, like, laughable things in there. But, yeah, it was fun. Harrison a Ford's great, a badass. It's a great movie. It's but so fun. Harrison in the, like, 80s, you know, throws out um, more more artistic movies like witness and mosquito coast yeah but he's also got indiana jones i mean no, he's I, know. Not, <clears throat> I know but yeah. he balance it's a good balance for him oh sure yeah yeah versus alec is like very up and down and inconsistent and has yet to find a a rhythm you know that's that's right. working at this point he really i don't think he doesn't 
I mean, yes, he does Glen, Glen Gary, Glenn Ross, and that, you know, five-minute scene is amazing, but he's not the lead of that movie. And I don't sure. think he would find it until, you know, years later when he started doing comedy and finding that that was really what he, he's really, really good at. Um, you know, especially with 30 Rock really cemented, like, okay, this is what he's good at. And now within that, he's done dramatic things like The Cooler and you know, many, many roles uh, that were in drama or action, but he's also not the sole lead. Yeah. So I think that's right. part of it. Like, this is the last movie that he, he is the lead. It is just him above the title. It's not shared with, you know, a whole with Steve Martin or with whoever else, <laughs> you know, the rest of his career, he would have that. It's like it, even 30 Rock, it's not just him. It's Tina Fey. It's, you know, it's uh, Tracy Morgan. It's, it's, you know, it rotates around. So yeah, not he's just on he's, his shoulders. He's a great, like part of a company, right? Like, I mean, playing off people and, and I mean, yeah, 30 rock, I think for sure is kind of what re introduced him to, to mass audiences. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like it, it was sort of a, you know, and he was only going to be on a couple episodes in that first season, and they only wanted him to be around a little bit. It was going to be about write the writers' room because you know nothing's more interesting to writers than the life of writers. <laughs> and uh, but then it was like, oh, we have absolute freaking gold when we give Alec all these lines and jokes, mm -hmm. and it just it disrupts everything. So yeah, and then he became. He was this him and Tina Fey were the star. Like what a and what a weird combination, right? Like how yeah. Tina Fey is is toe to toe because she's funny, and then she she elevates Alec Baldwin, and then he elevates her. It's like who who would have thought that was going to happen? Well, That's and insane. it was and before Thirty Rock, it was his appearances on SNL. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, yeah. sweaty yeah. balls. Like by the late nineties, when he's I mean, really the mid nineties. I mean, ca the Canteen Boy with with Adam Sandler, which is completely oh, yeah. horrible and inappropriate. But uh -huh. uh, at the time, it was like, oh, it's funny, you know. Um, <laughs> Did but he yeah, play? Like, was he, it Alec Baldwin with Phil Hartman, and they were like gay scout masters or something? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Like it was so, and it's wild because they just they like hardcore kiss each other, and at the time, it was like that's like you know you weren't doing stuff like that. Yeah. So it had like a shock value, but they went a hundred percent committed to the joke. Yeah. And that's what, you know, he proved himself time and time again with a, with every comedic yeah. skit. It was like, what's, what is working for him that I don't think he even realized at the time it's the comedy, 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 yeah. comedy, mm -hmm. but, yeah. but here we are with the shadow and the director, Russell Mulcahy. Now that's a name. Anybody listening to this show should be familiar with, although we haven't covered it yet. Oh, he is the yeah. director of Highlander. Mm -hmm. Right. It's and probably, Highlander too. Yeah, and and Highlander too. Yes. What's what's it called? The Quickening. The or? Quickening, or yeah, yeah mm -hmm. I forget what the. There's the Renegade version, which is the one they tried to fix all the mistakes. But yeah. Um, now Russell Mulcahy was a huge music video director. Right when music videos were really getting mm -hmm. big in the early '80s, so he did uh, "Hungry Like the Wolf." He did a number of the Duran Duran music videos, which were, you know, back then they were. There were really movies in, you know, yeah, three uh, minutes. Video killed the radio star, right? That's another yeah. one of his, I think. Yeah, uh, he did. He did videos for Elton John. He did videos for Rod Stewart and Billy Joel, Fleetwood Mac. 
there were so many that he was one of the top music video directors and and but it's a different kind of storytelling and his style is very visual and i think that's like one of the coolest things about all of his movies really highlander i'll say highlander too the shadow they all have interesting <laughs> visuals the lighting style it's kind of yeah. like a film noirish kind of look um, definitely the the pacing of it uh it you know it, like he's got cool sh- tracking shots and he's knowing he knows how to like work the camera but going beyond that that's where tim burton made batman work is because tim burton tim burton's a writer you know he he's been telling stories since he was what like 10 with Frankenweenie or 12 or something. And, um, you know, really knew how to craft a story beyond just the visuals. And I think Russell was coming into a project that didn't have a script that was maybe wowing everybody. Um, it was, you know, really kind of taking the formula of Batman. And I, I don't think his visuals did enough to take it to where it could have been. Highlander is a very uh, people either love Highlander or hate it. But the first Highlander, the first, first one, one's yeah. all right. I love the first one. First one's pretty good. Two, everything goes bananas uh, between the studio and and uh, you know creatively, like they completely changed everything. And yeah, they lost me at two, and then I wouldn't come back until Mario Van Peebles. And oh, there you go, three. That's three. Was it three? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The yeah, they that... kind of got back on track with three, but but it was like, man, they had really killed it, the movie franchise. And yeah. the TV show, the USA Network's TV show was fine. That was good. Yeah, <clears> it was Paul, Adrian Paul headlined. Uh, he was a cousin to Connor McLeod. Yes. Uh, Christopher Lambert's character. Christopher Lambert showed up once or twice. He yep. did, right? In the, in the and then they had, a, I think, a final movie where they're, they're sort of, there's they team up and then there's a showdown. So, yeah. So, I mean, it was that, like that it, show was on for a while, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Five or six years, maybe at least. And then yeah. there was even a spinoff called Raven, I believe, um, with one of the character, supporting characters from, from that show. And but yeah, like and then yeah, the that movie tied it up. That was really Adrian Paul's character, uh, Adrian Paul's movie with. But Lambert was like hardcore, I believe, in it. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, yeah, and then the, it's still they tried like a TV movie. I want to say in like two thousand eight, and it was like in the future ish with, but it was still Adrian Paul's character, and like they were using like VR headsets and weird things. I watched the first <laughs> five minutes. I'm like, nope, I'm out. Nope, yep. don't worry about it. It's all right, and we're done. Don't have to do it. But the whole <clears throat> the whole thing is weird because the whole purpose is, you know, there can be only one that it's all about the tournament till there's one one Highlander left, right? That's yeah. the end of the first movie. So then there's all these sequels where there's still all these other Highlanders. So how did that? But they always try to come up with like creative ways around it, like like making them aliens in the second movie. Yeah. And <laughs> but you you know you think you're the one until you realize the planet is so large that oh there's there's probably there's probably more out there yeah and new immortals were born all the time yeah because that was what the story dictates <laughs> that's <laughs> what the, the tv show or the mo- the next movie dictates there no 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 you didn't get them all yeah just like all the jedi were wiped out in star wars but it yeah. turns out there's like millions still <laughs> no no the notable ones are in the dozens and then beyond that there's lots more but yeah. which also makes sense because hey you can go into hiding anywhere. It's a big yeah. galaxy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mostly on Tatooine. 
Mostly, yeah. There's a lot of Jedi action on Tatooine in the deserts of Tatooine. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, so Russell Mulcahy really, and after this movie, he really doesn't do too many more, you know, mainstream movies um, before he kind of. Uh, I don't know if he like chose to go back to videos or or what, but um, it's an interesting career there. Yeah. Uh, um, the uh, the rights for the shadow got picked up by by producer Martin Bregman in 1982. Now he he was a, was one of Al Pacino's like main produce like he produced Serpico, Dog Day Afternoon, and Scarface, and, and possibly one other one. But uh, so I wonder if at one point in time al pacino was in the cards to play the shadow now picture that that would be very interesting seeing pacino as a superhero in general but oh boy yeah that'd be something (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i mean there's so many stylistic choices that that i don't necessarily think they all work with alec baldwin at the lead you know like but like with the the laughing and sort of the and the visual style of the shadow and all that like he's not the shadow isn't really an imposing figure he's supposed to be mysterious so it's it's an interesting thing like to put like a powerful quote-unquote leading man like get him in there and then like really you just like you only really experience alec baldwin being lamont like yeah for the Mm -hmm. most part he's the guy who only sleeps in tuxedos (laughs) <laughs> this guy he's there's three sleeping scenes i think and he's always in his like tuxedo like he just he just can't he can't get comfortable he's just got to be a guy and he's drinking brandy or falling asleep <laughs> with the suspenders over his shoulders oh, like, of course right. you don't i mean on uh, during the week yeah but on weekends Aren't you, you coming home this. from uh ga- rich gala events six nights of the week yeah six nights of the week yeah saturdays it's exhausting Saturdays, I take it easy. I put my jammies on. Uh, <laughs> um, can we get into the mechanics of uh, the beginning of the movie and the origin, the background? Do we have to? Of, I, I'm, I'm very confused about Lamont Cranston. So I just want to know why the, the mystic who wants to train Lamont lives in Cobra Command. <laughs> There's definitely a, a bit of Cobra Commander happening here. Um, so Lamont Cranston is a rich upper class New York socialite, right? Basically, then he vanishes at some point and goes to Tibet to be a warlord. Yeah, we, but like, was was he cons- probably conscripted in World War One? Like, did we have a, did we have drafts back then? To be honest with you, like, did the, did the uh, US I don't think so. So, but he, it seems like it was like post war. You know, World yes. War One, that, that he took advantage of it and became a murderous warlord. But we don't murder, know like before. a horrible yeah. warlord who just slaughters and kills villagers and people, and and yeah. does not have nail clippers. Does yeah. no talking about that look in the beginning. The uh, yeah, what the hell is going, dude? And the beginning the, of this movie is so bat crazy. I, like, I will say it was a pleasure to see uh, James Hong and Al Lung again in the beginning. But um, sure. What's the racism level? What's the temperature on the racism in that? I opening? need I honestly I need an, a Chinese person to tell me if it's racist or not. I don't know. 
like i i, I mean it, seems it feels racist. like it is but but like but is it like malicious racism or is it just stereotypes or what do we oh seeing? i think it's just you know 90s stereotypes it's not you know i don't think there's any intention to be racist but it's yeah it's tacky as fuck yeah yeah yeah, right. yeah. I wasn't gonna like, say it's honoring Chinese culture or anything like that. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that, but um, no. So yeah, so then how does he get back to being, uh, you know, to becoming Lamont Cranston again? Seven years in China, learning under under the tutelage, and then you know, which we get only in a text thing. It's so <laughs> weird to have a like a a montage sequence replaced by just a, text. a scroll. <laughs> like, yeah. And then over the next seven years, he figured out how to be the next, the shadow. Like, yeah. what? It's weird. Yeah. And is he has to, what is repay his service by finding the evil? I don't even know. Dude, it was so, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. It's so bad. It's, it's wild. It's well, such I, a horrible <clears throat> way to start the movie. Yeah. I think, you know, by the end, it, the intention is that he is, Lamont Cranston is when he returns and becomes the shadow. The goal is to, you know, he's trying to atone for his sins and he's trying to, um, you know, make up for, for all the, the wrongdoings that he's done. And, and I don't think that message comes across at all. Uh, there's yeah, there's no, like, there's no character development for him to be like, you know, trying to atone or trying like having some, like sorrow or grief over what he's done and that his his duty is to be this hero and anything like that like it just but it's just like no he was this kind of guy who was murderous and crazy and then now he's reformed and this is why he does stuff but we don't have to talk about that any further yeah he just like, does it so Batman. in the in the in the comic books it's weird because i was like his origin is a little different in that at least what I heard is that so it's World War One. He becomes a bit of a mercenary afterwards. He's kind of this bad dude. He does end up getting trained by the Tolku guy and has to repent. But like Lamont Cranston is some playboy that is like from New York. And the shadow is not Lamont Cranston. But oh. Lamont Cranston takes off and like gallivants around the world and this dude just comes in and has a deal with lamont to be lamont in new york as his as his mm. secret identity while he is well and he shadow. clouds he clouds everyone's minds to make them think that he's lamont right right, right yeah. exactly yeah like he so like his special powers like it's interesting because he doesn't really have he has the ability to hypnotize people with his ring he has this network of people, which we see in in the movie. There are the ones that are all wearing the rings. Once he saves them, they become yeah, part they of become his like team. his his team. And then his his biggest like superpower is that he is extremely smart, and so he's very strategic and very crafty and witty, and able to to like outthink his adversaries right yeah but like he doesn't have like he's not like there's not a whole lot of hocus pocus to his his superpowers aside from like him 
being able to hypnotize people with his with his ring. And you do that by well, in the movie at least, you do that by leaning backwards until you <laughs> your face falls in shadow and in your shadow. eyes start glowing. Yeah. Your eyes start mirroring. They use mirror <laughs> like it was right. It's like yeah. mirror. I, I kind of dug it. It's not like I, I feel I like, like you, the eyes. Yeah, yeah I'm going to try I, it at my next meeting at my next work meeting. I'm going to try this technique and see how well it works. I can I haven't looked into it, but I can only imagine those contacts were not soft. They were hard and they oh, also they were could pr- not be comfortable. And they probably he probably couldn't see through them. So like it was. As, I, I don't know maybe i mean he could have but it just seemed like wow like they're they're going for it like they're making uh you know again i appreciate this like attempt to like do something a little weird um i just don't think this movie gets weird enough this well it needs to be weirder it doesn't it also doesn't get it's... emotional enough because in batman we mm-hmm. totally i mean we are told time and again about bruce wayne's backstory and his the loss of his parents and emotionally what that yeah did it's tragic him. It's tragic, and that's what drives him to become Batman and what fuels him everything he does. Uh, yeah. Here, we don't have that at all. No, he's introduced as a whatever he's introduced as, but yeah. it's like nobody gives a shit about this guy. Yeah. Like, nobody cares. And then you're like, just supposed to I'm care. I'm not rooting for him at any point. Yeah. They don't earn the audience's support in any way with what they what they do. Yeah, it almost relies on you to to like know about like Batman and know about these like characters already. Just sort of like, oh yeah, it sort of makes sense. He's a he's a he's a mysterious anti-hero vigilante. He's kind of a rumor. No one really knows if he's real. Like and all that. Sure. And and, and his alter ego is rich and has all the resources, but like he he always relies on a cab driver of New York City. Like Peter Boyle. Can, Peter yeah. Boyle comes. He, at, at in a moment's notice, he be he could be cross town. He's there for all we know, making a making a drop off. I don't I don't know, but he's there every time uh, Cranston needs him. And it's you know I think something that was a stylistic choice that they went with, but I don't know. It just felt it felt too too old timey. Was so much of this movie is on a back lot, right? Like very mm-hmm. obviously a back lot. That's fine. You know we've seen that many times. I think but that the, adds kind of to the Art Deco feel of it all, though. Sure, like, of course. For me, like it kind of works in a in a weird. Yeah, the backlot part works. What bumped me was two things in particular: the backdrops that they would use, especially in that bridge sequence in the beginning. I'm like, mm-hmm. guys, I I feel like I can see the curtain. Like it doesn't <laughs> feel like yeah. it's you're really there. Like there's something about I I don't know what I unless I was there I, I couldn't say exactly what it was, but. I never had that like I had that feeling like I'm on a stage. I'm on a yeah, stage yeah. or a set with a backdrop that's rigged by rigging grips. You know? Yeah, as <laughs> much as much as I like the sets and a lot of the art direction of this, like the matte painting, the yeah. background and matte painting team was atrocious. Like all of them are really well crap. and and a lot of it is I think there's you know, that fault can go around because Sure. You can only make a, a a matte painting look like a matte painting or a backdrop look like a backdrop, but it's got to be well lit to blend it in. And, you know, I don't think there was, I thought the cinematography was fine, but that part was not working. Like the club, right. you know, I thought the club looked beautiful, the great, you know, great set, very much felt like the mask, you know, but, um, mm-hmm. 
But the well, other like, thing yeah. was the uh, was the in the cab scenes and any driving scene that that rear projection was such an old time thing, and I think that's what they were going for. But it just mm. it, it didn't work for me. It was it it took me out. I didn't mind it too much. I, I you know, top of the Empire State Building though. I mean, with this with the scenery and the scrim and you saw the folds in the, in, at the top of, at the top of the backdrop. Like, I mean, yeah, they didn't even bother to try to fix that. Like there were, yeah. Like, so you see like some lines in the, in the sky, the, the, the pale blue sky um, for, for that. And, uh, and all that backlot work. I mean, it's the same two blocks at whether, no matter what they're shooting. Is that paramount by the way? Uh, Universal. It is Universal. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure. I mean, I knew it's a Universal movie, but I wasn't. I've never been to Universal. Uh, there, there, you know, so. most of those backlots look similar, but there's some distinct things about each of them that. Yeah, yeah. I think this one had s- kind of the largest space for you know at some of those yeah. intersections. So. Well, and I guess this this backlot that wouldn't show up. No clock well, tower. Yeah. Well, this backlot would have is now burned it was burned down and replaced at this point right well, at or, this point it is now. in modern times it's it's burned down and replaced yeah it has so. since it has since burnt down and been replaced yes. that's yeah. what that's what i meant to say yeah. <laughs> um but it is a it's the same block by the theater and that yeah. restaurant and that alleyway it's the same they just keep going the same direction yeah. too. Yep. they don't even reverse like the direction because i'm sure that's it's not good for what they're trying to do um and uh but yeah this is a very heavy stage and backdrop uh, backlot uh, movie, just like Batman Returns, right? Yeah. And I guess even the original Batman, it's it's all in the Warner Brothers lot. I mean, both of those movies are not, so it's like try in which can fit that aesthetic. But I think you're right, like Brent, like with like the you appreciate the art direction and what they're going for, and like it's yeah. but it's missing the mark stylistically when you can tell the matte paintings and the backdrops are not doing it. Like they're right. It's uh. Yeah, it's 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 a fascinating look, honestly. It's like it, you're realizing you can't sort of half-ass this. You have to put in a little more time and money to to make this look better, to really make audiences come in. I think. Yeah, I don't and know. They, they, they had a forty million dollar budget, you know. So in 1994, that's not a that's not a low budget movie. So yeah. Um. Well, they probably had to spend, spend it on, on some nose of these. prosthetics. Those prosthetics, and I was gonna say some of these very familiar faces that we keep seeing in many, many movies between, yeah. you know, Al Lung and and James Hung. You got John Kapalos on the bridge. Jonathan Winters. Jonathan what? Winters. You've got, uh, you got Your Tim Peter Curry. Curry. You Tim got Curry. Ian Curry. McKellen. You got Ian. the dad from Alf. Come on, Max Wright is just there. Ethan Phillips, who would be on Enterprise in the future, and uh, Werewolf, and, and Werewolf, also? of course. Yep. Yes, mm-hmm. I mean Ethan Phillips has had a storied career, but I just yeah, yeah. no, but a lot of familiar faces, and um, uh, but okay, so the shadow, so he gets these powers, right, and he comes back to New York, and he's got to do good and atone for his sins, right. I don't under so what is the mechanics of when he wants to become the shadow his face changes is that his real face is that a disguise why if if he's clouding people's minds why does he have to change his face why does and why why if he looks so much like Billy Baldwin as the shadow why didn't they cast Billy Baldwin right hard to tell hard to tell <laughs> hot off hot off the heels of backdraft pun intended 
it's almost like they should have just did him like a cowboy and put the put the mask over just over the nose and then you're just dealing with the eyes yeah and let that but that that nose protrudes so much and takes up all that's you know all that space <laughs> and it's just I mean, sort of it's very distracting because like alec baldwin doesn't look like that yeah I mean, yeah but ultimately i mean it makes him look more graphic right like i mean and that's probably why they did it right and and is is batman's nose pointy in in the movie i can't remember yeah like, but he's they... wearing a cowl so it's it doesn't matter sure. yeah sure but the silhouette you know uh you never see the side silhouette of Batman. You always see the from that's behind the, with the ear. Yeah, with that's the, a good uh, point. But the yeah. everything, but with with the shadows, nose that the bridge is gigantic. Like it yeah. just, it's a, it's like it, the nose doubles in size. So he he does, which you know that is pretty much the primary feature that'll throw people off. Like so, it's like you can almost it changes this his silhouette. So I get like if he had to be seen. At least he's creating that illusion for what he is, but mostly he wants to be invisible, or I, I guess he can physically become shadows. Well, yeah, but he we becomes only invisible. Once. So what's the point of? I just don't. The, the, all of it doesn't make sense. I guess the shadow knows. The shadow knows what he's doing. The shadow knows. He has he has layers to protect himself. Yeah. Um, um I don't know. And why is everything so funny? When <laughs> he's. Not- He's like, why is he always laughing? laughing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the air, that arrogant thing of like yeah. to scare people is like, boy, what a choice that did not. It probably worked in the radio show. It does not work in this movie. No, like, yeah. not at all. It's like one of those carryovers. You know, I, I feel like you would see it in. Yeah, like you said, like from a radio show, you'd hear it in, in Dick Tracy and you'd be like, oh, OK, yeah, all right. But yeah. totally doesn't work. Yeah, it's, I mean it's constant. It's his, it's his, it's his calling card. Like I'm just like messing with people. It's just yeah. laughing at whatever they say. But he gets injured. Other than the opening thing on the bridge, he gets injured on every single encounter after that. Like he gets there's blood everywhere. Yeah, like, like he can't handle it. At the end, when he chooses to confront Tim Curry's character, like inside, where was it? It was inside, um, a, like a like water a, tank? a water tower. Like what so, was like, going on? You're that had cornered. a very that had a very Batman TV show feel to it to me like Definitely, that whole yeah. scene. I'm like, yeah. oh okay, we're going yeah. that deep with the Batman. Yeah. And he gets shot like twice there. Mm-hmm. So yeah. and then he's totally revealed. Well, um, and the fight scene before that where he's like the shadow fight and they shoot the 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 crossbow bolt oh, into yeah, his yeah. into his coat shoulders to like yep. pin him to the wall. Like, what the fuck yeah. is going on here? Oh yeah, good stuff. Yeah, with the crossbow bolts, like it's like he peeled himself out of the shadow, so he's yeah. projecting. So like he physically can actually become a shadow, I guess, without it. But that's the only time you see it. Like you know he's invisible, right. but also and like the opening scroll tells you he becomes in the shadows. Yeah, he's the only time you see it. He can make everything disappear but his shadow, right? Right, something, but then like something the, like that. But the, the the effect the visual effect of his the crossbow bolt it almost seems like he he's became physically the shadow yeah you're right absolutely it's weird it doesn't it's communicate confusing. that he's physically there so the the rules of the superhero are clunky here you know it's very clear like what Superman and Batman's and Batman doesn't have powers but what his skills are mm-hmm. you know what they do what they can't do it's very clear 
you know, with those guys, Spider-Man, you know, this one is just, it's confusing. It's, you know, there's, you walk away with a lot of questions about why they're doing things and could they have done something different or what, but, um, so Shiwan Khan shows up the last descendant of Genghis Khan with similar powers, right? Mm-hmm. That he did he gain those powers because he killed the was it the Toku? The Toku. Toku? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. he was probably recruited to learn the powers and and be redeemed and all that, but he was too He took evil. the goblin dagger. Yeah. Took yeah. the the dagger with a very Mortal Kombat-esque uh, VFX uh, shots. Yeah, also. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Good CGI. Yeah, yeah. Some good, uh, some good reptile uh, effects there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, all right, Shiwan Khan, what do we think about him as a character? I really like John Lone as an actor. Um, sure, yeah. I, but, yeah, what about Shiwan Khan? He's all kind of one note, right? Like it doesn't, I don't know. I mean, again, the writing doesn't really allow for much more than just this kind of over the top, poorly facial haired, bad guy. All the facial hair in this movie is terrible too. Yeah. The makeup is the makeup is the other major is another major misfire. And we're not um, even seeing it in HD. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? His reveal is... Uh, I didn't think his reveal was that bad, although <laughs> just kind of silly-seeming. It, it, but why does he do it well, that Like, way? he hides... He can't get a plane ticket? Like, yeah, exactly. How does... You know, I'm sure he manipulated people's minds that the shipment is supposed to be wherever it was. Um, you know, but then when, when they open up the crate at the, what's at the Natural History Museum, yeah. they open up the crate, and he's just standing there. Standing there, yeah. Just standing there totally fine, ready to go. You know? Well, and there's like a number of scenes where there's the, like these people walking through the city in like these 13th century Mongol like art suits of armor. And you're like, why is this even why is this happening? Like yeah. as an well, audience member, if 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 I'm to believe that he's clouding the city's mind so they don't see these people walking around in these suits of armor as an audience member can we just also not see them in the suits of armor <laughs> it's a little yeah i agree with you I think you have little, to know they're there though but like they, I, there was a missed opportunity with like Khan being in the coffin and like panning down to see like bags of chips and uh and <laughs> doritos uh, dorito you know hot mustard milk. doritos guys because like, you know he tarts. was in the, he was in that shipment for probably weeks. If you really think about it, like yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard least. to get stuff through customs and he probably clouded his own mind that he wasn't hungry, but he could have just taken a flight. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. Like why come through the sarcophagus? Yeah. Like he could, or, you know, or just, just traveled like a normal person on a boat or something. You got it. When you're a super villain, you got to do the elaborate thing that doesn't make logistical sense. And like, and the whole time, the the hotel he's been hiding in New York has always been hidden. I guess for the whole well, city. That, that's okay. Another confusing point. So basically, mm-hmm. like he's trying to manipulate the whole. Shiwan Khan's trying to manipulate the whole city, right? Until mm-hmm. he takes over, and he is ultimately he's creating. He's manipulating the mind of Sir Ian McKellen, 
who's a you know casual nuke nuclear bomb maker in his you know in his office and uh, so so to give khan the ultimate power right of the nuclear weapon so that's kind of your overall plot but uh yeah so i was confused about the building like was it always there was it always there but everyone's mind had been clouded for how long right it's like, like the it's, order it's like the order of the phoenix you know there's just like a spell on it so that people can't see it until you know it's like and, uh, and have forgotten about it yeah yeah that and that that was sort of in the opening where tolku says like things are clouded from men's minds until it's revealed or whatever the i don't know how you phrased it but it's not like you have to actively zap everyone with your with your power is like you can they can be clouded and they're just clouded i guess until it's revealed i don't know but then of course he wants to destroy new york city like this is the big problem like so this Khan is a big wants problem to, he yeah. wants to take over the world the best way to do that is destroy the capitalist pigs of new york <laughs> take them down um and uh you know and then and then he could he could free reign over over the entire planet yeah I guess. I mean, what's after New York? Dover, um, Jersey Dover, City, Delaware, Dover, Dover, Definitely Delaware, Delaware. <laughs> yeah, um, Iowa. Yeah. I mean, whatever. Yeah, Boise. It's a weird. It's an interesting, um, interesting thing uh, to be New York centric and like, okay, New York's in danger. This is what we got to we got to protect everyone, and uh, and you know. We've got uh, we've got Ian McKellen working in the War Department, just in a random building in New York New York City, yeah. creating creating bombs, building bombs, just right there in the office. And just you know, when you're done, you just put your tools away, leave it on the table, and yeah. uh, go just home. It there. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's so weird to see Ian. I forgot he was in this movie, and this is really. I know he was a major, you know, theater performer, but he had not uh, become a. Yeah big star in the states yet what what was the movie that was it x-men what was something X, before x-men X -Men. Uh, no, X -Men lord, lord of the rings and x -Men lord of the rings and x-men right? i think were the first no like... gods and monsters was like 98 oh. yeah yeah but that was and that nazi one um apt pupil apt pupil, apt pupil. yeah yeah so he was in that yeah right so he was in it but i wouldn't necessarily say that he was like a household name well i think after after those i think he got nominated for gods and monsters so that probably put him to some kind of attention and then and then x-men was 2000 and then lord of the rings was right after that but uh right. so yeah yeah i coming, forgot that you know it's very you know just different ian mckellen here he does not have the bravado that he would have in in the rest well, of his career and i i you know what i i would put money down you i don't think you can tell me that there is practical captured sound of any of his dialogue in the movie like the, the, all the, the entire time he's in his lab there's like bubbling things and there's a jacob's ladder electric yeah. thing mm -hmm. and it's totally fake when they do i mean every single line was adr there is no chance you have true captured dialogue from him and he's not even you don't even get a close-up of that guy you never that once at, at any point do you get a close-up of ian mckellen <laughs> like, yeah he's always i think you get one and you see a really shitty poorly done fake mustache <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Uh, when he when he's when he's on when he's on the balcony yeah when he's on the balcony oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah it's really bad but it's fascinating i'm like oh my god like ian mckellen was 
did the, I mean Ian McKellen had a very long career in theater and and then mm-hmm. film and then like coming over to America here we go this is, he's starting to go in the mainstream movies and uh wow and he's so poorly just underused you'd think like yeah. if you knew what you had you know right. same thing with Tim Curry right. Tim Curry Tim barely, Curry like, who's got Tim a Curry's career yeah and, and just a genius and uh as underutilized here as he was in Home Alone Two, <laughs> absolutely. It's uh, but that's okay. You know, it's an Alec Baldwin movie. It's an Alec Baldwin vehicle. But uh, all right, so Ian McKellen is the father of Penelope Ann Miller's character, who sure. she, her character always felt very light-hearted to me. That when she came on, the movie kind of sw- shifted gears to almost a comedy. I think that's the intention. Yeah. Is it? I was going to say, is it the intention? Like, I don't know. There's actually specific written comedy bits throughout the movie, more so in, I think, the third act. But, like, this movie should have been a lot funnier, I think. Like, there, unfortunately, there's no comedy writers involved. Like, right. Very basic, but, you know, they're having a little bit of whimsical time together. And, you know, and you have comedians in it. I mean, Jonathan Winters is the police commissioner. Yeah. you know, and Jonathan I mean, Winters acts, but, but think, think, and maybe it's just the timing because think about Alec, Jonathan Winters, huge comedy legend. Mm-hmm. Penelope Ann Miller's trying to bring some comedy, some lighthearted comedy to it. If only Alec Baldwin had been later Alec Baldwin, you could have had some comedy gold in some of those scenes. Well, I think this- he tries to, I think he tries to throw it in there a little bit. I mean, like when, when she wakes up from her nightmare and then he wakes up from his and he's like, talking about peeling his face off like oh, it's yeah. pretty funny that's a great that's when i was like oh we're starting we're, we're gonna lean into the jokes now like, yeah yeah go. like that's yeah that's good stuff once she finally like joins the team and they're working together like maybe we're just wrong maybe the whole thing is a comedy and we it's, need to look back at it under that lens it's not though it's not one of those where it, they were playing it as a comedy but it was mismarketed and people didn't get it at the time it's not like it, it's not that i tried watching it that way and it, it's it doesn't it's work not there does it work uh, better than if you play it straight the whole time <laughs> the movie plays it too straight too long i mean to, yeah. to let it happen you know I think it might be like just looking back at the opening when he's just diving around at random things like full body dives to. I don't know. That's pretty funny. (laughs) But it wasn't. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I I don't know if uh, there were some interesting people attached to this before Russell Mulcahy was. Um, Yeah. Robert Zemeckis was attached for years. I could see that in the yeah. mid '80s yep. could have been interesting there. Uh, you know, maybe Michael J. Fox as the Shadow. I'm down for mm. that. Michael J. <laughs> he, Fox. You, we just talked about needing it to be like a like a looming presence. <laughs> I like myself some Michael J. Fox, but I don't think I don't think he's going to be casting any large shadows over anybody. Five, five five Michael J. Fox is not. A threat. Hey, maybe we're going the comedy route for that one. But hey, I'll take Michael J. Fox in any way I can get him. Yeah, so, oh, yeah. absolutely. What Love about him, um, watch <clears throat> what about Kurt Russell as the shadow? I could see it. I mean, his hair would have been the giveaway. Yeah. yeah, there's no hiding that. <laughs> no hiding that. You wouldn't need the nose though. You got the hair. Yeah, true. Um, that could have been interesting. I could see that. 
I mean, Kurt Russell, you know, he's. I think there's just missteps at all points, whether it's casting, design, lighting, pace. I don't know. Jokes. Like, there's a lot of misfires that cobbled together. It's kind of okay to watch, but I, because I don't think it's necessarily like a horrible result. It's not something you want to come back to. Right. But I mean, ah, geez, it's just, it's just the, the sum of the whole thing doesn't really add up to something great. What about, uh, so Sam Raimi also to come back to him was pitching this for a couple of years as well. And it was rejected, but he was given permission to morph his story into what would become dark man. Yeah. Now dark man, well, we'll probably cover dark man, you know, down the road on this show, but Dark Man is what this movie maybe should have been. Well, or right. could have been. Yeah. There's a lot of striking similarities too. Uh, <laughs> I mean just between Dark Man and The Shadow. <laughs> yeah. For yeah. sure. But even like the costume like I mean granted Dark Man is a lot grittier and you know he has to hide his face cuz it's mutilated but he hides it with band like crummy old bandages instead of like the the scarf or whatever, but I mean, there's a lot of overlap in the, in the look, but dark man is a movie that I think it's aged really well because Dude, I love dark. Man. That one you watch and you see it, you see the humor that's hidden in there. Like that's what we were talking about. That's why dark man is so much fun to watch now because it is, it does do that. Yeah. You know, I know that movie was mismarketed when it came out that for sure it was pushed as a straightforward superhero movie and people were you know kind of you know found it to be strange and didn't latch onto it but if if they had pushed it as a like superhero i don't want to say comedy but you know definitely something along those lines it might have been uh might have gone over better but Mm -hmm. um yeah god uh I loved hearing, okay, wait a minute. I The nuclear bomb also bouncing around like a kickball at the end was, wow. Like No worries. There's some, <laughs> totally there's some nice comedy there. That's cute. That was kind of, I was like, I'm not saying it's good, but I was enjoying the whole sequence. I was like, yeah. this, is, this is funny. Like, <laughs> the bumbling, her bumbling dad, like, you know, you always need a British... Well, I guess he's probably not even British in this movie, technically. But, no, uh, you know, put a mustache on a a British guy uh, with a with a floppy haircut, and you've got um or floppy haircut, and you've got you've got a scientist in the <laughs> in the forties. Like, yeah. that's it. So, yeah, it's it was, was kind of cute. I don't know. I'm not saying it redeems the movie whatsoever. I just liked it. I just think it was yeah. funny. It, it doesn't really even fit with this the whole movie at all. Um. I liked. I did like the ending with uh, Shiwan Khan. That that the knife comes back into play. That you know the knife is so at odds with with uh, Lamont Cranston in the very beginning of the movie and is being used, uh, you know, against him at the end in that big Hall of Mirrors battle, which was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did like that. I like the, yeah. the, the, the 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 mirrors were neat. That was a yeah. great idea. Then uh, you realize that the that Shiwan Khan had been manipulating the mind of the knife as well. Why not? Yeah. Oh, is that is that was that what that meant? Yeah, is yeah, that... yeah. 
So that's oh. how once that was revealed, the knife that's turned right. on him and joined with Lamont and uh and then you know stabbing Shiwan in the head, and then it's revealed Shiwan has had a partial lobotomy and lost the part of his brain where he would yeah. manipulate minds with and he's locked up in a sanitarium. Yeah. Well, don't forget and, and the doctor makes a play on, oh, and let's you won't need that part of your brain unless uh unless telekinesis is a thing that you believe in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh, yeah. that's a great guy. But yeah, we'll remember like so yeah, that that and that fina- that battle sequence, like the shadow unc- you know, becomes more powerful. Now he's not only manipulating minds, he's moving objects. So he throws he throws that shard of a mirror into the into his head. Yep. So like, you know, if you were to have a sequel, he'd be he'd be like just throwing shit with his mind and there can be only invisible. one. You there know. There can be only and, one. And conveniently very similar to the ending of uh of Highlander. A lot of a lot of glass shattering. It's a cool effect. Slow yeah. motion glass explosions. Yeah. Give me more. <laughs> if Shark Tale had it, I would love that movie even more. <laughs> They just didn't animate it. Uh, and there's no better artist to take us out in the closing, uh, you know, credits than Taylor Dane, guys. You know, I'm a big, a big Dane head. You're a big Dane head. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, all right. Should we, uh, should we see how the movie fared in the box office with a little box office glory? I I want I wanted to note I think the funny thing is that watching this movie now again for the first time since the theater, the first scene where you have uh, Ian McKellen and Penelope Ann Miller together, and there's a di- uh, the split diopter lens showing the split focus, and I think I think that's the first time I recognized that I'm sure it's, obviously it's been done before this film and I've probably seen it but it's the first time I realized I was like that's not how camera lenses work. What the hell is this? <laughs> like the, some weird like memory came out where I'm watching huh. it. And I'm like, that was a, that was like a interesting moment of like, what's that movie magic. So I never noticed that because I, you know, I, I don't watch a lot of interesting at, at 14, but I was 14 at the time this came out. Probably wasn't watching a lot of interesting things. I don't know how long the split diopter lens was around. I mean, but you know, you don't see it typically because it's a lot of work to to incorporate. And Spielberg used it. It it, it was yeah. really only like specific directors tried to use it. Mm-hmm. Brian De Palma. I probably so yeah. I probably had seen it, but then I'm like, that's not how that works. That's weird. And like, I think it really stands out as a as a moment where I'm like paying attention to what I was watching for the like. in the technical side um so i wanted to bring that up i couldn't find a a place as we're talking about all this silliness of this yeah but that stood out to you it did is and it but and only because i think it stood out like for the first time that like so if if i took nothing else from the shadow it's like the first time i noticed that that technique (laughs) which is nothing it's a it's a nothing thing but you know you don't see it because it kind of looks ugly right like well, it's weird. It's right? it's it's a strange visual that yeah, it only works it when you know how to use it. Poorly right? done. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. your eyes don't do it. So you to you have to really uh, set it up and light it really the right way to make it feel kind of good, right? Is that right? I don't know. Yeah. Have you, have you guys have you guys ever used the split lens? I've never uh, used it personally. No. 
ever used in personally. But I don't play with a lot of lenses usually. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to get the lens cam- guy on the phone. I'd love some camera experts to weigh in and, and talk for 45 minutes about it. Uh, <laughs> we will wait till they call dudes. in. Where the lines are open, camera guys. <laughs> We're looking for you. As of this recording, the some camera guys aren't doing a lot because they're waiting for uh, what what's going on in the in the the business of Hollywood. There's there's a strike happening as we Woo-hoo. record. The strike is continued. Um, but anyway, all right. I just wanted to bring that up because I think like we we usually transition toward the end of the end of the show uh, with box office. So. Um, there's a lot of you know a lot of great moments. Banya's in this movie from Seinfeld. Abraham Ben Ruby from Parker Lewis can't lose there. The two guards Whoa. at the mm-hmm. War Department. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Cited them immediately. I'm like, oh my god. Soup's not a meal. You were supposed to buy me a meal. Kubiak, it's a, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, and that's the thing. They, this movie just has it just piles up all the sort of character actors and yeah, and, yeah. And there's sure. a ton of them. There's just, a ton of them. Absolutely, and it's it's outrageous. I just think it's it's fantastic too. Yeah, Brent, did you say Kubiak? Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, that's yeah. right. It was Kubi. I couldn't yeah. remember his name. Kubiak but I know- from Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Yeah, Kubiak. I and remember he was on movie. ER forever, and then I used to run into him and like randomly, I ran into him like probably ten times in whatever like Target and like really, uh, yeah, really? It's so so strange. But yeah, and he's still and, around. And Steve uh, Hitner or Heitner was. Uh, the other guy is who played Banya. So yeah, to say their names uh, properly, I don't know. And then, so you see that, and then just there was. It's just kind of neat to see like, and bit parts for really Tim Curry and and Ian McKellen. It's just it's a wild movie. Like, uh, and then of course, uh, uh, longtime uh, legendary Frank Welker voice actor as the the voice of the knife. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. You can, it's funny when you can hear when you can hear Frank Welker's voice. Yeah, he knows how to do that creature like the creature like, growl, high pitched, you know, yeah. growling creature sound. Pretty sure he played Abu in Aladdin. Uh, he look did. It up. So he he did. You need a creature. You call Frank Welker, or you you know you you get into a cage with a bear. That's that's <laughs> that's your two options. <laughs> But anyway, I'm ready for box office. All right, let's do a little box office glory. The Shadow had a $40 million budget. It opened July 1st, 1994 at number two. It opened up against uh, the other movies opening that weekend were Blown Away. Hmm. I Love Trouble. Big League or Little Big League and Baby's Day Out, David. That's uh, your top three movie for you, I think. Um, Baby's Day Out. Baby's Day Out. Top, yeah, it's a top five. Now. It's top five. Okay. Yeah, but no, yeah. no, cl- it's a classic. I saw that. <laughs> I went to the next theater after after the Shadow ended, and I went right into Baby's Day Out and Perfect. became a lifelong fan. Yeah, <laughs> you have the autographed soundtrack and everything. Hundred <laughs> percent. Uh, all right, it uh, the shadow opened between Lion King uh, at number one, which was in week three, and Speed, uh, which was in week four. Uh, mm. The second week, though, it, it drops all the way to number five, and it's kind of a steady decline after that. So opening weekend, uh, 11.7 million. It ends up doing 31.8 domestic and 48 worldwide. So with a $40 million budget, that is not, not good. Hmm. 
Uh, and not only that, but we'll we'll we'll, we'll get to let, let's get through a little more numbers and we'll kind of go into the fallout of it. Uh, it ends up number forty six of nineteen ninety four, right between Nell and Major League Two. Uh, tops at the box office in ninety four was The Lion King, Forrest Gump, and True Lies. Not enough people are talking about Nell these days. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was an Oscar winner. Is that right? Uh, Jodie Foster was nominated. I nominated think. at least, mm. yeah. Yeah. This was the year I think Forrest Gump took a bunch of uh, yeah. Forrest Forrest won. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the part of the 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 fallout of this not working was was really you know we talked about kind of sealing the fate for Alec Baldwin as your leading action star, but and you know Russell Mulcahy's directing career kind of coming to an end but also like what could have been for this franchise you know they were they were definitely planning a franchise here so you know the, the toys were out uh video games were planned and immediately canceled and stopped really? production never released oh. i think the i think the toys did come out but the uh the game did not yeah a lot the toys of merchandise cool. yeah I would have loved to play the shadow on Sega Genesis because that's exactly what would have happened. Oh, you know, yeah, Sega Genesis and Super Nintendo for sure. Absolutely, <laughs> it probably would have been a cool game. Maybe, and you'd be turning invisible, and but then you'd have to just go. You'd probably be a two D scroller. Yes, you're fighting ten thousand bad guys. A lot of jumping, uh, a lot, lot of jumping, jumping, and a lot of jumping, punching. But then you go uh, invisible. I'm just gonna reskin contra and just exactly yeah. <laughs> or like Absolutely. that super star wars and super empire strikes back on all right, right. SNES. Yeah. um yeah so i don't know I, it would be interesting to me though now it, could you remake this movie now could you retell the story of the shadow forget this movie go back to the original um, you know, radio plays. Is there a a way to to do it now that an audience is going to accept? Yes. There's got to be. There's got to be. There has I, to be a way. I one hundred percent. I one hundred percent think they could do it with all the superhero movies that have you know between all the the Marvel, the MCU stuff, all the DC things that have come out and what worked, what's worked, and what hasn't. Maybe the maybe it is the right time to do this to give this one another shot. I don't know. I mean, Cap Captain America was kind of Art Deco esque in its style. I mean, uh -huh. it was a little bit later, later time, but you know, like, yeah. I think that worked. I think as as For long as you drill down on an emotional side of this story, and you can still have a you know, if you want to do a comedy version of it, you can, but you still need to get to like the emotional content and what's driving that character. And if you tell that story, I think you got people. Yeah, they have to come up with a better origin story than just like weird guy long nails out in Tibet that you know yeah. is evil for no reason. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a, just a big misfire to open everything. Like it's just yeah. a complete. Yeah. Like, and it's because it's not a, it's not exactly a short movie. It's it's like a that's it's like almost, two hours long. Yeah, it's like, I think just over two hours. Something like that. So it's like they they're you know they waste not wasted time, but. They used they ate up a lot of time where it could have been actually into the the character uh, or some of these characters. Things. Yeah. Now, do you do a sequel and have Alec Baldwin come back and nope. just change the tone? No. Nope. <laughs> you, have, you have Alec Baldwin come back as the villain in this one. 
Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I think Khan? He, nope. That and, I think Khan. and I think you got like maybe a Sean William Scott to play Lamont Cranston. Oh, yeah. Stifler gets in there. I don't know. <laughs> the cast, Ooh. The Shadow, with starring the cast of American Pie. Do it. Hen- Henry yeah. Cavill. It's going to play the Shadow. Henry Cavill, well, Henry sure. Cavill's Highlander. He's going to be the new Highlander. Is, Is it really? Right? Yeah. Well, shit, there we go. Yeah. Oh, what? They're, both. They're doing yeah. a new Highlander? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's happening. With Henry like, Cavill? It's, it's not a sequel, though. That's a reboot. That is a reboot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. total reboot. And uh, we should, when that is, you know, we'll cover that. We'll cover Highlander when the new one comes out. Yep. Sounds good. Put it in uh, the books. Because the new one better have a queen-themed uh, soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> or else it's a instant failure <laughs> or it's a total bust oh <laughs> uh, all right well that was fun looking back at the shadow i wasn't sure you know how i was going to feel about it now but uh yeah unfortunately does not does not hold up as well as uh young me wished wished it had there's so much it's, potential baked into the whole thing you know and just it's uh, it's better than the phantom mm. Oh, you definitely. Yeah. 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 The Phantom, I think, is the worst of all of these ones. Yeah. That was uh that was a hot mess too. It's yeah. it's it's weird seeing this stuff at like at, at a young teenage years and like knowing like this isn't for me really. This is like it's not yeah. for me at that not not that it should have been necessarily. Like it could have been a good move good emotional action hero movie, whatever. But like, oh, I'm not enjoying this the way I thought like they marketed it to me, you know, <laughs> and that's, that was the shadow. That was the phantom. Like that was that, that, that the was phantom, Dick Tracy, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. phantom actually looks like a purple condom. Yeah. That's, that's an, a shame where they, they hadn't learned to really how to texturize the uh, superhero costumes yet. Yeah. So they just needed, they just padded him out <laughs> and he looked, yeah. He just looked like a beefy so- purple sausage. Yeah. <laughs> Well, no, but when the Phantom came, the Phantom came out in '96, right? They had already put nipples on the bat suit by that point, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. could be right. Yeah. Yep. Maybe they didn't they just, have the budget they just, for it. They just failed miserably on the on the costume for the. But the shadow is is overall is better than the Phantom, but uh, yes, yeah. Um, well, if you're an Alec Baldwin fan uh, or a Russell Mulcahy fan, uh, I would I would check it out. Give it a shot if you haven't seen it already. All right. I'm in. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, as we wind down season <laughs> five, we, we want everybody to come back for our season five finale on our very next episode. We're not going to we're not going to reveal the title here yet, but uh, it's uh, it's I think we're going to be going back to the 70s. So which we haven't done in a while but um so stay tuned for that check us out on social media we're a reconsinimation podcast on on all the social media platforms uh give us a rating and a review it always uh always helps the show to get those positive uh ratings and and brings the spotlight of the show up uh thank you to our friends ek wimmer for the theme music thank you curtis moore for the poster as usual and uh that's about it any other final thoughts on the shadow guys nope that one's done no it's that's a wrap good good stuff done david do you know what evil lurks in the hearts of men and women no because i'm not the shadow right or or am i (laughs) 
All right, we'll see you on the next episode of Reconsidimation. Take care. Bye now. what evil lurks in the hearts of men <laughs> the shadow knows armed with quick draw 45s the mysterious crime fighter faces the evil show on calm now ready for battle but shadows hypno-eyes cloud men's minds you will obey i will obey but khan escapes on his serpent bike after him shadow Khan fires Boom. first. Shadow Cycle pops a wheelie launching a counter-missile. Oh. Each sold separately. <laughs> Into the room, Khan. Or is it? Who knows? <laughs> the Shadow knows. 